want to welcome all of you once again. Those on Facebook and YouTube, thank you. And of course, here at Logos, as my wife mentioned, if we can gather together Sunday mornings such as this, we can gather together for prayer together. And uh, this Ashbury revival has really triggered something in me. Uh, I'm going to share more about this during the days of prayer, but you know, it's, it's amazing how this revival has started. And uh, I was sharing with some of the men yesterday at our breakfast, you know, um, there's no magic formula to revival. There's no magic formula when God moves. There's something fundamentally that's firm and stable throughout God's word is that if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will heal their land. We see when you look at what's taking place at Ashbury, you'll find out there was prayer going on, serious prayer. People are hungering for God. God moved in a powerful way among the students that were praying for revival. When God broke in there and moved mightily, people rep- were start- there was repentance going on. People started coming from all over. And that's exactly what took place years ago in my little Bible college. The same thing, no magic formula. In 1981, the same thing, 82, we cried out to God, we prayed, we recognized our need for God, our desperation for God, and people started praying. And God showed up right after days of prayer, same thing. People started coming in. The classes were canceled. Their classes are canceled in Ashbury. It's amazing to see the parallels. People started coming in from all over. Couldn't leave the sanctuary. I've heard of testimonies of people saying that the presence of God is so thick they can't leave the sanctuary. The exact same thing took place in Bible college when I was there years ago. And maybe that is why after so many years I'm longing to see it again. Can it be friends? that we too can experience this right here. I want to challenge you all to come on out this March. Three days, we're going to designate and dedicate to God for prayer and seeking Him. See God move because we can't make a change in our own strength. You can know that for sure. We need God today desperately and it's the desperate prayers of God's people that make a difference. We're continuing our series that I've entitled Modern Day Josephs. And uh, we're looking through Joseph's life and gleaning spiritual truths to apply it in the 21st century into your life, into my life as a modern day Joseph. What is a modern day Joseph? Well, our text this morning is found in Genesis 44 verses 1 to 16. If you brought your Bibles... Genesis 44, 1 to 16, I've entitled this message, Is This Another Conspiracy? Conspiracy. We've heard a lot about conspiracy theorists and conspiracies that are going on. Well, well, is this another conspiracy? The Bible says, And he commanded the steward of his house, this is Joseph, saying, Fill the men's sacks with food, as much as they can carry, and put every man's money in his sacks mouth 
and put my cup, the silver cup, in the sack's mouth of the youngest, and his corn money, and he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. As soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away, and their, and their donkeys and when they were gone out of the city and not yet far off, Joseph said unto his steward, Follow after the men, and when thou dost overtake them, say unto them, Wherefore have ye rewarded evil for good? Is not this it in which my Lord drinks, and whereby indeed he divineth? Ye have done evil in so doing. And he overtook them. And he spake unto them these same words. And they said unto him, Wherefore saith my Lord these words? God forbid that thy servants should do according to this thing. Behold, the money which we found in our sacks' mouths were brought again unto thee out of the land of Canaan. How then should we steal out of the Lord's house silver or gold? With whomsoever of thy servants it be found, both let him die, and we also will be my Lord's bondmen. And he said, Now also let it be according unto your words. He with whom it is found shall be my servant, and ye shall be blameless. Then they speedily took down every man's bag to the ground and opened every man's his sack. And he searched and began at the eldest and left at the youngest, and the cup was found, yeah, you guessed it, in Benjamin's bag. Oh, no. And they tore their clothes and laid it every man donkey at the return to the city. And Judah and his brethren came to Joseph's house. And he was yet there and they fell before him on the ground. This is the third time they've done it now. And Joseph said to them, What deed is this that ye have done? What ye not that such a man as I can certainly divine? And Judah said, notice who is speaking now. Notice who's speaking. Notice who's speaking. Judah said, what shall we say unto my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also with whom the cup is found. Wow. What a story. An incredible story with so many life lessons. I, I had so many in this text. I, I, I said I, I, better, I better shorten them because you might not remember. So many spiritual lessons that we have this morning is this another conspiracy well as we begin this morning by way of introduction I'd like to give you the backdrop I want to paint you a picture to our text because it's so important you understand what is already taking place so we can fully grasp the significance of what's going on in this chapter 
Joseph previously has held a banquet for his brothers. They've all come from the land of Canaan to Egypt because there was a famine in the land and they needed food and, and their father Jacob said, go, go to Egypt. I've heard there's, there's food in the land. There was a famine in the land of Israel and God had put the famine in Canaan, not Israel, in Canaan for a reason. So that they can go to Egypt to get food. If there was no famine, Jacob would have never told his sons to go to Egypt. How many times has God put a famine in your life to bring you into a place that you never want to go to? How many times has God put a famine in your life? Not the devil. Not the devil. God will put a famine in your life to bring you into a place you need to be that you're not even aware of. And you're getting upset and you're thinking this is the devil. No, no, this is God. God's arranging it. God's allowing it. God's doing it. You wouldn't have gone any other way. You wouldn't go because you're so consumed with what you're doing. You don't hear God. You don't see God. And now he's got your attention because there's a famine in the land. And now you're off to Egypt. The last place you'd want to go. And so they end up in Egypt. And Joseph, watch this now. As they are in Egypt and they stand before Joseph, they didn't even know who Joseph was. They had no clue that Joseph was their brother. They had no idea who Joseph was. didn't look the same. Years ago, this Joseph is... He's changed on so many different levels. First of all, he's bald. He's been shaven completely. It's Egyptian custom to shave your head if you're a nobleman. He had no beard like the Hebrews did. He's got a robe on. He's got all kinds of jewelry on. He's an Egyptian. This isn't Joseph. They have no idea who Joseph is. They figure he's gone. He's dead. They're standing before the prime minister of Egypt. And all of a sudden, they are placed before a table. The Bible tells us that the prime minister has made a banquet for these no-names, for these nobodies, for these Hebrews from the land of Canaan. They, and, and, and the brothers are feeling a little awkward, a little strange, because now they're seated. And the Bible tells us that Joseph had his servant seat them by order of their age. And so there's Reuben at the head of the table, if you will, and, and all the brothers are seated by order age by the order of their age and Benjamin is the last one to sit and they're brought food but why are they being treated like this strange very unusual by age and then and then we discover that Benjamin the youngest gets five extra portions of food at this banquet table that all the brothers were invited to and they had no idea what was going on. Is there a conspiracy here? What kind of, what's happening? This doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense at all. 
Remember, Benjamin is Joseph's blood brother. Comes from the same mother, Rachel, who Jacob loved so much. And so Joseph and Benjamin were very, very close. Joseph never forgot Benjamin. And what's going on here? There are so many life lessons, but what I see is that Joseph wants to know how his brothers are going to react. And there was a conspiracy going on, but it was a different type of conspiracy. The question is, will they react like they did with Joseph when Joseph was given favor by his father Jacob? Oh, stay with me. We're going deeper this morning, very deep. Are they going to react with jealousy and hatred as they did with Joseph when, when Joseph's father Jacob blessed him and honored him? Are they going to be jealous of Benjamin now that he has been given five extra portions of food while they're starving? How are they going to react? Joseph, Joseph. Joseph was hated by his brothers because Joseph's father Jacob gave him a coat of many colors. Joseph was honored by his dad and his brothers didn't like it. They were jealous of Joseph. They hated Joseph. Are they going to react to Benjamin the same way they acted and reacted to, to, to Joseph years ago? Will they be envious and jealous? You see, he wants to know if, if, if his brothers have experienced what he, Joseph, has experienced over all the years. He wants to see if his brothers have changed. Has there been a change in your life after all these years? Or are you the same envious and jealous brothers that you were years ago? Have you changed? That's what Joseph wants to know. And so this sets the tone for our text this morning I'm going to give you three principles that begin with C we're going to look at this conspiracy we're going to look at the confrontation and then we're going to look at the confession three conspiracy confrontation and a confession that Joseph wanted to hear all these years first of all my first point is conspiracy conspiracy verses one to three something's going on something's going on Joseph has a plan and he tells his servants to go fill their bags with, with the grain and the corn and to fill the youngest Benjamin with this silver cup. And there's a reason. There's a conspiracy going on. Uh, Joseph had a conspiracy against him years ago by his brothers. Do you remember that conspiracy in chapter 37? Yeah, yeah, they didn't like Joseph. Joseph was coming. His father sent Joseph to go and see what's going on with his brothers. They were shepherds, if you will. And, 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 and they seen him in Dothan. And there they see him afar off, the Bible says. And they began to conspire. They began to plot a plan among the brethren. Said, oh, here comes the dreamer let's deal with this guy and so they decided to take his coat and they killed an animal and they put blood on the coat and they threw him into a pit and they brought this coat that was bloodied by this animal and they told their father they lied they lied they said dad dad we couldn't help it but but he, here's joseph's coat i some an animal killed him and there's the blood and the, the, he died conspiracy lies and deception against their brother all born 
out of jealousy, envy, and hatred. Jealousy will kill you, my friends. Envy will bring you to your grave spiritually. Jealousy and envy will cause your bones to rot. A conspiracy, but this conspiracy that Joseph has is not born out of hatred or envy, but it's out of love. To bring them into a place where they can face their sin. You see, Joseph now is going to do something in the lives of his brothers like God does to us. Stay with me. I told you we're going deeper this morning. The Bible says, whom the Lord loveth, he what? He chastens. Can I say that again? Whom the Lord loves, he what? Joseph is going to chasten his brothers, if you will. He's going to allow them to go through series of experiences. But it's not out of hatred, it's out of love. He wants to see something in their lives. He wants to see if there's been any change. If they've grown up. If they've learned something. If they've taken responsibility for what they did. God deals with us. He works in us in a very similar way. He wants to bring us to a place of spiritual growth. A place of maturity. And for us to get to that place, many times it's accompanied with pain. It's accompanied with certain stripes that physically that you might go through. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. You might experience a few pits and prisons before you end up in the place of maturity. And so this conspiracy is born out of love. He wants to know if they can truly take responsibility and ownership of what they did. This becomes so important and you must remember this throughout this message. So Joseph places in their bags 20 shekels, the Bible tells us. 20 shekels. And, and it's interesting and he brings back, brings back the, the grain and the corn and fills it into their bags. And it's interesting because the 20 shekels was the same amount they sold Joseph for. Isn't this interesting? What a conspiracy. 20 shekels for the grain and 20 shekels for what it cost and what they sold Joseph for. Possibly they're thinking 20 shekels. Is it possible maybe that one would say that's the same amount we sold our brother for. This is the same amount it cost us to buy this grain, this corn. See everything had purpose. There's a plan. There's something going on here. Joseph was trying to get their attention. You see, just like when God deals with us, he, deal, he wants to get our attention. Certain things we go through, certain experiences we go through, they have purpose. There's strategy. There's a reason. You know, there's something eerie and strange in getting back all the money you've just given to buy grain. It's something eerie to get back the same amount of money that you sold your brother for. Mm, just think about that for a moment. Something strange going on. 
five extra portions to Benjamin. They're all sitting order of their... How in the world did they know how old they were in order of their age? There's a conspiracy going on here. And now there's... We're going home and we're, our bags are filled with, with money and... Ba- like, what, what's going on here? And corn and... And we're going to find out in a few moments a silver cup is placed in the bag of the youngest Benjamin what's going on a conspiracy then notice number two the confrontation verses 4 to 15 Joseph tells one of his servants to go and back and to to chase them give them a chance to ride a bit and then go follow after them And as they're going home, this man catches up with them and looks right into their bags right away. Right away they look and he discovers the silver cup is in Benjamin's bag. And this of course was planned. Purpose. Strategy. Just like with God. Whatever we go through, friends, there's purpose. The steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. Every step, every good step, and every bad step. The Bible says the good steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. The Bible says all the steps of a right, and those steps aren't always good. This all has purpose. And as Joseph is dealing with his brothers, my friends, you can be sure we see God dealing with us. And so now all of a sudden, a silver cup shows up in Benjamin's bag of all people. God working behind the scenes. Joseph working behind the scenes. Notice the response. And this becomes the key. Verses 12 to 13. The Bible says they tore their clothes, all of them. And they thought of their father. Remember what he said. He said to his brothers, his his sons, be careful. I'm sending you to Egypt. But be careful, Jacob said. Do not let anything happen to Benjamin. Why was Benjamin so important to him? The same reason reason that Joseph was important to him because Joseph and and Benjamin were brothers coming from the same woman his wife Rachel whom he loved very much he loved Rachel beyond comprehension and as a result of that he loved his two children so deeply possibly reminded them of his wife that's not very good parenting he's got other children Certainly he showed favoritism and we're not going to be preaching on that this morning. We're not justifying in any way what Jacob was doing. We're just making a point and explaining the situation that we are in this morning. Be careful that nothing happens to Benjamin. And now the cup is found in who? In strategy, strategy, purpose. This is not a coincidence. Nothing ever happens just like, there's never a coincidence. It's not a coincidence. There is purpose. There's a reason why the cup, and the cup now becomes an object lesson. The cup now becomes an object lesson. This cup is very important. And they knew now they were in trouble. They tore their clothes, which is an act of repentance, an act of grief and mourning. 
The question is, will they stand with Benjamin or will they throw him away and throw him under the bus like they did their brother Joseph? You see, Joseph wants to see if they've changed. Joseph wants to see what's going to happen with Benjamin. Hmm? What, what are you going to do with Benjamin? Are you going to do the same thing you did to me, my brothers? Are you going to stand with him or are you just going to say, well, so be it. You can go back and do what I don't care what you do with him. I have no interest. I, have you changed? How are you going to deal with Benjamin? Are you going to deal with Benjamin as you dealt with me, Joseph is saying, within himself? God's concerned about the things you do. And so they tear their clothes. Something seems to be a little different here. There's a test going on. Are you going to stand with Benjamin? Or are you going to throw him away? There are tests going on. Joseph is testing his brethren. God tests us as well. You see the parallels? In fact, we see in Genesis 22 verse 1 that God intensely tested Abraham. He tests intensely the Abrahams of this world. He tests intensely the modern Joseph's of this world. If he loves you, he's going to test you. If he loves you, he's going to chasten you. And we see this taking place right here in our text. And so the steward says, whoever has this cup is returning to Egypt with me. He's going to face the consequences. And you can hear all the brothers dying within themselves. Oh, no, it just, just can't be. It's just, it just can't this how could this be this notice they all went back to Egypt with Benjamin they didn't leave him alone can it be that something's changing in the hearts of these brothers they wanted to get rid of Joseph before they couldn't care less but now they're returning back to Egypt with Benjamin? They didn't run away. They stood by their brother. Has something changed? They didn't think of themselves. My goodness, something's happening deep within them. Something's taking place. And so they all went back before Joseph, back to Egypt. But again, they didn't recognize who Joseph was. And they bowed down before him. Again, a fulfillment of the dream, Joseph. This is the third time now they've bowed down before Joseph. And they didn't know who he was. No clue who Joseph was. How could they? A bald, shaven nobleman who's now the prime minister, cannot be my brother. How many times does God have you in a situation that you have no idea who you're standing before? How many times does God have you in a situation that you have no clue of what's going on? But there you are in that place of ambiguity. Ah, my friend, but there's a reason. Remember, nothing here just so happened. Everything had a plan. This conspiracy was God-led.
And so Joseph says in verse 25, verse 15, what deed is this? I know what you're doing. You're, you're just a, you're all a bunch of thieves and no goods. I, you're, there's a, you're, you're planning nothing but, but evil. I know, I know who you are. I know who you are. And they all stood trembling. What a scene it was. And so number two, we have our confrontation. We just learned about the conspiracy. Now we're looking at the confrontation. We see it. They are now trembling before Joseph. They've been found out. They've been found out. And now we come to the confession. Verses 16 to 30. Now here we see something extraordinary. We see a shift. We see Judah coming to the forefront. We see why Judah was chosen by God. That through his lineage the Messiah would come forth. We see the greatness of Judah. Judah comes to the forefront. Judah takes the leadership. Of all people it's Judah. Judah begins to be the spokesman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here is where we see Judah taking a stand that sets him apart. Verse 16. Judah says... God has found us out. He has found out the iniquity of thy servants. But I got to ask you a question this morning. What iniquity is this? The iniquity of when they sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of shekels of silver. The sin of hatred and jealousy reaching an apex by wanting to kill and sell their brother. The iniquity. Look what he says. He has the presence of mind and the discernment to know that what they are going through right now is because of what they did. God has found us out. God. brought us to this place where we can see the error of our ways he has that discernment to know you see friends now watch this now life lessons all kinds of life lessons you can be sure that what your sin will always find you out if you live by the sword my friend you can be sure you will die by the sword there's no escape David tried to escape. I made my bed in hell if I'm in heaven, if I go to the east or the west. The if I, I, can't, I can't get away from your presence. Oh, that I had the wings of a dove that I might fly away and be at rest. No wings of a dove can take you away from God, David. Your sin will find you out. I don't care if it's tomorrow. It might take two weeks. It might take two years. It might take 22 years. It might take 50 years. I don't know. I'm not in control of that. God is. He knows what the right time is. But one thing I know, you can be sure. The word sure means assurance in the Hebrew. You can be sure with assurance that on that day, whatever, you will be found out. It will come back. It will come back. You can't escape it. It will take place. There's no doubt about it. It will happen. And so, Judah becomes the spokesman. And this is exactly what Joseph was waiting for, that they would confess and take ownership of what they did. 
confess and take ownership of what they did. And today this seems like today people don't take ownership for anything. We're living in the days of a lawlessness has reached an apex. And when lawlessness reaches an apex in our society, then people don't take ownership because the, as Jesus prophesied in the last days, we see that the hearts of men will be getting what? Colder and colder and harder and harder. And when people's hearts get harder and harder, then people don't take ownership for anything. They don't admit to anything. And we see this today in government. Now mind you, Tory did a good job, at least he admitted it. He didn't play the uh, Clinton game or, uh, or the other games that all the other politicians seem to play. But taking ownership seems so hard for people. Taking response, we love to, pl- to blame others, don't we? But Judah! Is taking ownership here after all these years. He didn't say that Benjamin stole the cup. You know, it's not my fault. I, he would, wasn't sure what was going on. He didn't try to justify anything. He, did, he took ownership. This cup becomes an object lesson of their past sins. And Judah confesses it, acknowledges it. Notice what he says in verse 16. He says something so powerful. I want to read it again. I want you to see how powerful this is. And Judah said, What shall we say unto my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also with whom the cup is found. Listen, we're sorry. We, we were wrong. We are now your we, we will do whatever you want, Joseph. We have sinned. We've done wrong. We confess. He's confessing what they did twice. 20 years earlier again life lesson number 4 God will not be mocked whatever we sow we shall reap whatever we sow we shall reap now what follows at the end of this chapter is absolutely remarkable absolutely incredible here we see Judah's intercessory prayer his plea his cry not for himself but for someone else Judah now begins to intercede here's why we see see the prophecy being here's why Judah was chosen there's something that Judah does that typifies Jesus there's something that Judah's about to do that truly foreshadows Jesus and this is why I believe that Judah's line was chosen that Judah was chosen to bear the Messiah his line his lineage I see it very clearly I see it He does something so unique, something that no brother has ever done, something that no one has done, but Judah does it. I got to pause here for a moment. I got to pause here. I want to speak to modern day Josephs just for a moment. You see, here is a picture on how we should intercede for our brothers. As Judah begins to intercede for his brother Benjamin, we'll look at that in a few moments. But but, but you see, here is what's important, that modern day Josephs today, that we all 
also need to intercede for our brothers. We need to do something for our brothers and sisters. And that we see that Judah does for his own brother. And we'll expand on that in a few moments. But what we see here is intercession. What we see here is Judah wants to take the place of his brother. Oh my. What did Jesus do for us? This is powerful stuff, friends. This is so powerful. Oh, but stay with me because we're going to go a little deeper. And so, I want to share some principles as I break it down for you, beginning with R and P. Something so unique and so powerful. Number one, I want you to notice what Judah did. What did he do? First of all, friends, he couldn't do what he did unless, number one, he had respect for Joseph. His position. He had respect for the position of Joseph. He never had respect for anybody before. So rare today to see those who have respect and honor for people in their office. Today we get jealous of other people. Today we don't like people to succeed. Today we get threatened by other people's success. Now you just let that marinate for a little while. Because this is very important. Today we see people succeeding and we see people rejoicing and what we do, we weep. We do the very opposite of what Paul tells us, to weep with those who weep and to rejoice with those who rejoice. We seem to weep with those who rejoice and rejoice with those who weep. (laughs) Now you think about that for a moment. Judah! All of a sudden, something's really changed with Judah. He has respect and honor for Joseph. And that's important. And it's rare to see that because today, lawlessness reigns so much and that because the hearts of men have become colder and colder, we see the very opposite. We don't respect people. We don't honor certain things. But Judah had respect and he had honor that he never had before. Judah had no reverence for anything or anyone. He was self-centered. And we're going to see why in a few moments. He was self-contained. All he cared about was himself. But here is Judah showing great honor for Joseph. Something truly has changed. Notice what he says. Joseph who stands before them in the place of God. He regards Joseph. This is important. And respects Joseph. That's important because modern day Josephs, I have a word for you today. And I'll tell you what the word is. And I'll give the word to those who are on Facebook and YouTube today. Listen to me. Before you are in authority, you must first learn to submit under authority. So if you want to be used of God, if you want to be any kind of Joseph, you must first learn to submit under authority. Other words, you'll never be in authority when it comes to God. So stop scratching and kicking and manipulating. It doesn't go far with God. When you find out and you look in the Bible how God promoted men, 
All these men that God promoted were humble, contrite. Moses was the humble. David, think about that. Look at these men. Look at the apostles. They didn't promote themselves. It's humility. Doesn't the Bible tell us that in Isaiah 66 verse 2? This is the man who I'm going to look upon. This is the man. This is the, you want a criteria of a man that God looks upon with esteem? You want to see, you want to see what the criteria is? You don't see a high, high IQ. You don't see man with much ability. You don't see someone with great strength. You don't see that. Isaiah 66 tells us, for all those things that my mine hand made, and all these things have been, saith the Lord, but to this man, this is it. This word, this man, this man, that's the key. Will I look, will I look even to him that is what? Poor, oh, what poor? Poor and of a contrite spirit. You got that? Mr. Prosperity Teacher, did you got that there? Okay. Contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. That's who God looks at. That's who God says is blessed. See, Judah came to know that the proper thing to do is to honor Joseph before he can intercede for his brothers. How can you intercede before God if you have aught against your brethren? How can you intercede truly before God if there's envy and bitterness and no honor and respect? Come with me. We're going to go just a little further before we move on to that. Just a little further. Can I go a little further? Luke chapter 18 verses 9 to 14. Luke chapter 18 verses 9 to 14. We have a powerful text. We look at verse 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray. Watch this. The one a Pharisee and the other a publican. And the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. He prayed to himself. How many people prayed to themselves? I heard of speaking in tongues and kind of praying in the spirit. Okay, but, but hold on. Praying to yourself. God, I thank thee that I'm not like other vagabonds and men, extortioners and unjust adulterers, even, even as this publican who's praying in the back there. You see that guy in the back praying? This, this loser back there. That's for him. Verse 12. Go ahead. I fast twice a week. Look at me. I'm great. I, I give tithes too. Ooh. All of my, every fact, I give more. I give almost everything I have. I'm really spiritual. And, and the publican, watch this now. He stood far away. He was far away because he, he felt his, his own personal sin would not even lift up so much his eyes to heaven, but he smote upon his breast. It speaks of passion that uh, something, I, I need God. I, something wrong. I just need God in my life. He's saying, God, be merciful to me. Watch this now. A sinner. You know what's a sign of spirituality? Acknowledging that you are a sinner. 
what did Paul call himself? Hey, I was the chief of sinners, you know. I'm, just, I'm, not, I'm not. It's only by grace that I'm saved. It's not because I'm so smart or eloquent or I've got, you know, I'm sensitive to the things of God. Yeah. No, you. publican I tell you this man went down to his house justified rather than the other for everyone that exalts himself shall be abased and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted Judah humbles himself Judah humbled himself humility and so Judah had respect for Joseph's position number two then Judah reviews the problem, he looks back. Is there something I did, Lord? Is there something I experienced? Is there something that happened in my life that, 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 that has propelled these things to take place? He examined himself. Oh, my friends, how many times have we heard this, to examine yourself? Did not Paul tell us before we even take the communion that we are to examine ourselves and see if there be any wickedness within us? cannot take the Lord's Supper in mockery if there's something wrong in your life, if there's sin in your life and you take the Lord. You got to examine your heart. Examine, examine. The unexamined life isn't worth living. That's the problem with some of us. We don't examine ourselves enough. That's one of the problems with the grace teaching today. Oh, I'm saved by grace. Yes, you are saved by grace and I'm going to be saved forever because of God's grace. And so you stop examining yourself. Big mistake. Big mistake. He's able to finally see what God allowed to take place as he looks back, as he looks back, as he looks back. You see, he didn't blame, didn't make excuses. He dealt with his problem right there and how many times have you heard me say this next life lesson whatever you have not resolved my friends whatever it is you can be sure it will be repeated what you don't resolve you will repeat what you don't resolve you will repeat what you don't resolve you will repeat you can be sure you may not repeat it tomorrow you may not repeat it next week but you will repeat it just like the scripture says be sure your sin will find you out number three then Judah remembered Jacob's petition verses 27 to 29 what was Jacob's petition if Benjamin doesn't come back home, Jacob said to his brothers, to, his, to the brothers, you'll bring down my gray hairs. Verse 29, it's going to kill me. You see, Jacob loved Rachel, his wife, two sons, Benjamin, Joseph. And Judah understood that. And that's bad parenting. I said it. You don't favor, you don't show favor over one child. You don't do that. You can't say, oh, you know, she's better, he's better. You, 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 you know, you, you mock, oh, why don't you be like your sister? You don't do things like that. Amen, parents? Amen. That was a weak one. I don't know if I like that too much. I had, you know, 
You got to be careful. I know, there's, I know there's maybe one that might be a favorite. It might be, shouldn't be. But you act as if that person is not for the sake of your other children. Do you know how much harm you can do by favor, having more favorite one child over the next? Do you know what you can do in the mind of that child? Well, you always show more love to, to, to her. And you don't, and you did, you know what? See, Judah could have reacted to that right here. Well, here you go again, Dad. You showed favor to Joseph, and now you're showing favor to Benjamin. Oh, why did you say, well, if, if you don't bring back Benjamin, it's going to kill me? You don't say that about any one of us. Why is it you're saying that about Benjamin? For the same reason you said that about Joseph, isn't it, Dad? And Judah could have had the same mindset, could have had the same attitude, but he didn't because Judah changed. His heart got touched. His life got touched. All those years that God was dealing with Joseph, God was also dealing with Judah. That's for free, by the way. He didn't get jealous. Could have brought a lot of pain, but he didn't. And I can hear Judah saying, this cannot happen again. And before, this can't happen again. What do I see? We see that Judah has matured tremendously. Something's transformed in his heart. He's grown up. He's grown up. He's not as insecure. He's not as intimidated. If you're insecure all the time and you're constantly offended and you're always intimidated, you need to grow up. Oh, I got some sermons on that one. I don't have time to get into that this morning. You know, you know, isn't it sad that you can be saved for 20, 30 years and still live like you did when you first got saved? Still drinking milk? Or maybe pablum, you know? And some of the problems seems to trickle down your cheek, and it's so cute when you're a little baby. Yeah? I've, got, I've got all kinds of grandkids, and then we're feeding them, and, and you see the milk coming, and they spit out, and they go, oh, it's so cute, you know, they're little babies, and you wipe them. Now, what happens when those little babies become 25 year old? And they're still spitting up milk, and they're up, what? There's nothing more unattractive than middle aged adolescents. Let me tell you. <sighs> Adults drinking milk. Wow. Pablum. Can you imagine someone, 25 year old, coming into your house for dinner? What would you like to eat? Well, I made you some lasagna. I made you some. Oh, one, can I please have some pablum? Like, what? Excuse me? How often does that happen in the spirit realm? Can I say that again? How often does that happen in the spirit realm? You're saved for 25 years, but you're still eating pablum. Judah grew up. The jealousy is gone. The hatred's gone. The insecurity's gone. He's eating meat. God has brought him through a lot of things. He's, something's happened to Judah. Judah is saying, look. If we don't go back with my brother Benjamin, it's going to kill my dad. He's going to die. 
Notice the intensity, the urgency. What is he doing? He's making intercession for his brother. He's making intercession for his brother. This is the greatest thing that he can do and the greatest thing that any modern day Joseph can do today in this world. Intercession for your brothers and your sisters. Nothing greater. Making intercession for someone else. When was the last time you truly interceded for somebody? When was the last time you couldn't sleep and interceded for somebody? You heard the story of a young pastor who was upset. Things weren't happening in the church. Nobody was getting saved. He went to see an older pastor, been around for years. He said, Pastor, someone said, you know, I don't understand my church. It's dying. Nobody's getting this. Nobody's, nothing's happening. He said, the pastor says, well, well are you praying? He says, yeah, well, yes, I'm praying. He says, are you in his reading? He says, yes. He wasn't sure. He said, yes, it's a true story. And then the pastor said to him, have you tried tears? Have you wept? Are you broken enough to weep and intercede for someone else? The young pastor was speechless because he didn't do it. I ask you again, when was the last time you wept in intercession for somebody? Judah's interceding for his brother. Couldn't care less about him before. And so what do we see so far? Respect for Joseph's position. He reviews the problem. Then he remembers Jacob's petition. And finally, he requests for pity and mercy. Oh my. Verses 32 to 34, please, of chapter 44. He says, let your servant remain here instead of Benjamin. Let me take his place. Oh, Judah. Let me take his place. You want to kill Benjamin? Kill me. You want to put me in a prison? Put me in a prison. Just don't do it for my brother. I want to take the place of my brother. I want to do it. Don't let Benjamin go through this. I, I'll do it. I'll do it. What is Judah doing? He steps in again as a type of Jesus. He's taking the place of Benjamin as Jesus took the place of all of humanity for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Those whoever believes. He paid a debt he didn't know. He died for us while we were yet sinners. Judah foreshadows what Jesus is about to do hundreds of years later. A sacrifice Take my life instead of his. Wow. You see, before Judah sold his brother to be a slave for money, now he intercedes for his brother to be free. Just as Jesus took upon himself the sins of the world, Judah Judah takes upon himself what he thought was the sin of his brother. What love? Wow. Hold on, Pastor. Wait a minute. Pastor, you must have the wrong Judah. It can't be the same Judah. Is this the same Judah of chapter 38? Oh, it's the exact same Judah. But it's impossible. Is this Judah? 
Really? Judah who married purposely and flagrantly a pagan woman against his father's wishes? A pagan woman? Had all kinds of problems with her and his children? Didn't know how to raise children? Lied constantly to his daughter, daughter-in-laws? And then worst of all, went with prostitutes and had illicit sex with his own daughter-in-law? What? Is this the same Judah who said when he was caught of his sin, you are more righteous than I am? Is this the same Judah who lived by his own rules all of his life? Yes, it is. Oh, I can smell a life lesson here. Oh, I've got a few life lessons. It's the same ruthless, self-centered, lawless, godless man who now intercedes for his brother. My goodness. Yes, my friends. You see, God is the only one that can change a man's heart of stone into a heart of flesh. It's the only one who can restore the years that the devil and the locusts have tried to devour. Judah came into fulfillment of this incredible prophecy we find in Genesis chapter 49 verses 8 and 10. If we can have it on the screen. A prophecy concerning Judah that the Messiah will come forth from the tribe and the lineage of Judah. You see God's word will always come to pass my friends. It might take a long time. Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Judah means praise. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Keep going. Judah is a lion's whelp from the prey. My son, thou art gone up. He stooped down. He cut couched as a lion and as an old lion whom shall rouse him up. Keep going. And the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh, which is a messianic term, until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of thy people be. Judah. Sex with prostitute. I see God's grace here, do you? I see God's mercy here, do you? That's what I see. That's what I see. Oh, my friends, there's so many life lessons just before we close. What is it? Look, there's no sin too dark. There's no stain too deep that God cannot wash away. His blood can wash away any stain. I don't care what it is. Tide can't do it. Sunlight can't do it. But God can do it. Hallelujah. By His blood. If He can change a Judah, He can change anyone. Life lesson number six. Be careful never to judge a person strictly by what you see at that moment. Did you hear me? You might be saying, well, how can God use this man? It's impossible. Look what He did. Look who He is. God can do it. You've heard me say over this pulpit, there's three men I met that I could not believe. I don't know how in the world it happened. There's no 
possible natural way that these three men can do any good. I met a man who was an alcoholic for 40 years by the name of Lotus. I'm not going into details, I don't have time. But he was an, an alcoholic for 40 years, lived in PI under a bridge, would wear three or four coats in the middle of July. He was, he smelled beyond, beyond a mad, it's unconscionable how badly he smelled where he lived and what he did. He seemed like he was a reprobate. His mind was so callous. God turned him around and became a preacher. That's right. When people looked at him, said that it's impossible. I met another man by the name of Andre on Skid Row in Montreal. The same thing was said of him. He was on Skid Row, a hopeless alcoholic. Somehow God had mercy on him. I brought him into the house. Somehow he turned around by God's grace and eventually he began to preach on Skid Row. So amazing was he. They wrote an article the Montreal Gazette about his life and how he turned around I met a man in a bar a restaurant bar I don't want to have letters Pastor Dino goes to bars <laughs> it was a restaurant slash bar I was living I was uh, vacationing in well, vacation I was in Switzerland and I was in a place called Basel Switzerland and I went to eat with my friend Dave and I met this man who was a hopeless drug addict. Had a mohawk haircut three feet high. And he said, three feet? Absolutely. I couldn't believe it. We know my story. I've shared this story. He was so stoned when I talked to him. I didn't even think he understood one word I said. I witnessed to him. And I gave him my address. Back then there was no emails, no nothing. We just old-fashioned write letters. And use your own pen and paper I got a letter five years later after that encounter man was gloriously saved and began to preach the gospel three hopeless situations listen I'm telling you what you think is hopeless God says that's a great atmosphere that I can work in Coming to a close, but I want you to see something. Just see something, another lesson. You see, Joseph was doing to his brothers what God was doing in us. Working. These experiences, these tests that they were going through, all had purpose and strategy. You see, Mr. Joseph, of the modern days of the year 2023, so it is with you. The tests you go through, the experiences you go through, the predicaments you're in, they're all designed. There is a master designer who's got strategy, who's working behind the scenes, just as it was with Joseph in Psalm 105, when the Bible says all the things Joseph went through, God was doing so he can put steel in his spine. Joseph needed some steel in his spine and it took a few pits and it took a few prisons to get there. Maybe you need steel in your spine, Mr. Joseph. Purpose for everything. Because he's working. Joseph never abandoned his brothers. God never abandoned him. 
He that's begun a good work in him shall complete it. All things work together for good to those that love God and are called for. Well, verse 29, so that we can be conformed to his image where God can put steel in our spine. Strategy, strategy, strategy. You see, friends, watch this now. I said this a few weeks ago. I wasn't here last two weeks, but I'm going to say it again. Are you ready? If you got a pen or a paper and you want to write it down, I won't blame you. Are you ready? You ready? Ready? You don't know what God is making while you are aching. You don't know what God is making while you are aching. You don't know what God is doing while you're in that pit. You don't know what God is doing while you think you're drowning. You don't know what God is doing behind the scenes. For the great ambidextrous God with his left hand is working behind the scenes. And when the right time comes, the great ambidextrous God with his right hand will lift you up and bring you to the place you need to be. But you don't know what you're going through in that pain, in that time of affliction and so it's so easy for us to blame it's so easy for us to get angry it's so easy for us to get bitter but if we can hold on and say this to ourselves you don't know what God is making while I am aching you don't know what God is doing he's the potter and I'm the clay I know I'm suffering now I know I'm in pain now you might feel abandoned and you might feel lonely you might feel isolated and dislocated but God hasn't abandoned you there is strategy in your life there is purpose in your life you may not see it God is working even if you don't feel like it God is doing something behind every funeral behind every grave behind every experience behind every trial behind every pain while you're aching God is doing something he's making something out of your life he's got a plan he's got a purpose yes while you're in pain he's doing something powerful you see with God there's always hope there's always hope As Paul said, I don't want you brethren to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep, those who have passed away. Yes, we mourn and we grieve. And I shared this as my mother, at my mother's grave. We mourn, we grieve, but not as the world grieves without hope. Hope! And hope is not mere. It is never meager. Having hope is a great thing. We must never lose hope. And Jeremiah almost lost his hope in Lamentations 3, didn't he? In Lamentations 3, 18 to 21, Jeremiah was down. He felt the pain of the sin of Israel, the rejection of Israel. He was abandoned and mocked. They wanted to throw him into a dungeon. He felt the sting of the agony of what he was going through. Constant rejection, constant rejection. The man of God was preaching, rejected by everybody. He said, oh, my affliction, verse 18, I couldn't bear it, Lord. Verse 19, it was unbearable to me. I remember all the things, all the things I've gone through through it brings so much pain and agony all the rejection all the hardships uh, physical and emotional and then, and then we come to verse 21 and 20, but but despite all the agony all the pits rejection I recall I, I had I had to put away all that emotion. Stop bowing to your emotions. Put aside. Put aside those emotions. They're not good. I recall. I put away my emotions for a minute. I remember. I, 
recall to my mind how good God is. How he hasn't left me and abandoned me despite some of the things I'm going through. I recall what he did for me. And he brought hope back. What things? Verse 22, the mercies. I could have died, but God's mercy picked me up. I felt so lonely, discouraged, but somehow God's hand came and rescued me from drowning. I remembered. The devil wanted me to forget. My flesh, my emotions wanted me to forget. But I recall. His mercies are renewed every day. And it brought hope back to my soul. My God, it brought hope. Every I speak to you, Mr. Joseph, this morning. Don't give up. My endurance has perished. My hope has gone. But I recalled. I recalled something changed within me. I realized I got a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. I realized, lo, I am with you to the very ends of the earth. I realized that all things are working out for good. You meant it for evil. But God, it meant it for good. I, I seen that, that. That God's a very present help in time of trouble. Though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. God is in the midst. Stuff. I recall, I, I recall, I recall. Finally, got to close. Finally, life lesson number eight. Are you ready for this? Ready? Here is where Judah stands, unique. He stands, takes the place of his brother Benjamin. Take me, Joseph. Didn't know who Joseph was. Take me instead of my brother. What a picture of Jesus. A sign of true spirituality. A lesson for every modern day Joseph. The mark of a true believer. The mark of a true believer. The mark of a true believer. The mark of... What are the marks of a true believer? Intercessory. Taking the place. What do we see in Romans? Paul tells us this. Are you ready? Are you ready? Here we go. Verse number 9. Let love be without dismalation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What which is evil, leave it to that which is good. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love. Honoring, honoring, honoring. There's Judah. Honoring others more than yourselves. Did you hear that, Mr. Joseph? Don't be slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope. There's that word hope. Patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of the giving of the saints to hospitality bless them which persecute you and bless and curse not rejoice with them who rejoice and weep with those who weep do not be high minded consider others more this is what Judah did when he interceded for his brother that is how you are to live Mr. Modern Day Joseph. Interceding for your brother. There's no greater thing. How we treat others. True story. Close. 
Years ago in Russia, 3,000 years ago, there were tribes in Russia all over. And there was one tribe that was known for a special king that lived there that was extremely merciful but very just. True story. And his reputation preceded him and he was known throughout the country. The tribes in Russia. And so, one day, one of his men came to him and said, uh, Mr. King, we have a problem in the marketplace and that there's reports that there's a lot of thievery going on in this particular store and they can't find the thief. And this owner is uh, part of the cabinet, you know, part of the, the government of that tribe. And so this man was losing lots of money every week through thievery and he couldn't figure out how this market, his, maybe it was a grocery store, I don't have the details of that, he were losing all kinds of money because of the, of, of the theft and they couldn't figure, is it an inside job, is it somebody coming from the outside, they couldn't figure out what the problem, but it was an ongoing problem for months. So the king being just said, okay, decree to the land, to the tribe, that if this person steals again and is caught, will be whipped ten times. So do not, do not steal, if you are, you'll be whipped ten times. Well, the decree went on, good enough, more theft took place, and they lost even more money the next week. Second decree of the king, to the marketplace where everybody would read, they didn't have newspapers of course, they would have something posted in the middle of the, of the marketplace, in the certain grounds, and this was, if you don't stop, you'll be whipped 30 times. Okay, wonderful. Unfortunately it didn't work, the thievery continued, they lost even more money, brought back to the king, the king declared, alright, if you don't stop, you'll be whipped 40 times. Well, they found out who the thief was. They couldn't catch this person because it was the king's mother. True story. The king's mother. What? She would go into that store and didn't even think anything. They would let her do whatever she The king's mother. And so now what is the king supposed to do who's known for being a righteous king and a just king and a loving king? Is he going to let his mother go? If he lets mommy go, then really he's not just, is he? Because he's showing favor. He says, mother, or is he going to do it? If he whips his mother, what, that, that's going to be outrageous. How is he? What, what is the king going to do? And so the king... On the day of judgment, everything was set. She was supposed to be whipped 40 times. On this particular day, the king said nothing to anybody. He had his henchmen there, ready to whip her on the command of the king. Nobody knew anything. And so the king comes down from his throne into the marketplace area, into the arena, if you will. And he takes his mom. He loosens the bands from her, kisses her on the cheek, removes the, the handkerchief that was around her eyes, and sets her off to sit beside him and then he takes himself and he puts himself behind the post and he asks his henchman to tie his hands behind the back and he looks at his henchman 
And he says, now, gentlemen, proceed. And the henchman whipped the king 40 times, the king who now took the place of his mother. My brothers and my sisters, this is what Judah did, and this ultimately, and more importantly, is what Jesus did for you and for me. And this, Mr. Joseph, Mr. Modern Day Joseph, in the year 2023, is how you and I are to live in this world. Let's all stand together, please. Every head bow just for a moment. Just for a moment. Philip, can you start playing something immediately? Just whatever it is, just something soft. I need to address the Josephs in this house and the Josephettes and the Josephines. Sometimes we look at these men and these women in the Bible, we think, oh, it's so unique just for them. It's not. I believe every man. In the Bible, every woman in the Bible can speak to us and we can live lives just like them because we serve the same God. We serve the same God. The grace that Joseph had to live his life, the grace that Judah had to live his life is the same grace we have to live our lives. We forget that sometimes. I'm going to tell you something, brothers and sisters. Maybe you don't hear this much today, but if you want to live a life like Joseph, or you want to live any kind of godly life in this world, I'm going to tell you, it's going to take sacrifice. It's going to take a willingness to die to yourself in the song we sang earlier, I Surrender All. You see, you can't live like Judah lived at the end of his life, living for yourself. Living for yourself is the enemy of spirituality. Your greatest enemy is not the devil. Your greatest enemy is your flesh. If you want to live like Joseph and make a difference, because you, you will not make a difference in this world unless you do, Then we're going to sing that chorus, I Surrender All, once again. And it's going to be a plea for all of you and all of us. Because all of us have a bit of Judah in us, don't we? That needs to be dealt with. I don't care how great you are or how great you might think you are. If you want to make a difference in this world, you need to intercede for your brothers. It takes sacrifice. You might have a child 
He might have a father, a mother, a friend, a relative that needs serious intercession. And God is calling you to be a Judah. And Judah had to learn some things in his life before he interceded. He went through a lot of things. Now, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know who you need to intercede for. But whatever it is, it's going to take selflessness. Everything we just read in Romans 12 takes selflessness. Loving your brothers, selflessness. Thinking of others higher than yourself, selflessness. Responding good for evil, selflessness. Praying and seeking God, selflessness. If that's your desire, and I'll tell you something. It's not everybody's desire. Because most people want things. That's why they want a God who's like Santa Claus. Who just gives them something. This is not what I'm talking about. It's giving something. Not receiving something. Giving up something. That's not popular today. Because all we want today is to get. Are you willing to give yourselves for the cause of Christ? That's the highest vocation that you can experience. A service of surrender. Not glamorous. You won't sell too many books. And it won't get many views on YouTube. I can guarantee you. But that's okay. But that's okay. Because if it honors God, that's all that matters to me. How many this morning would say, Pastor, I need to intercede for somebody today? I don't know who it is a brother, a sister, a friend, a cousin, a neighbor. It doesn't matter who. It's time to shed some tears for somebody. It's time to put away all that jealousy and hatred and pick up the cross and follow Him. Because friends, I'm telling you, if we want to see revival in this place or in any place, it's going to take true intercession that comes from a, a heart of brokenness. When you look at the Ashbury revivals, I'm telling you now, I'm it begins with brokenness. It's always about that. So I'm calling every Joseph and every Josephine to come on up and begin to intercede for a brother or sister and begin to intercede for a mighty move of God that will touch our nation and touch our lives and touch our homes. Will you do that? Will you do that this morning? Will you lead us in that chorus, please?
everything to you, Lord. I'm letting everything go, everything to you, Lord. I want you to get out of your pews now and I want you to come forward. If there's someone you need to intercede for, you know who, I want you to come right now and begin to pray. Just get out of that seat and come to the front and begin to intercede before the Lord. And say, Lord, I'm interceding. I'm crying out for my brother. I'm crying out for my sister. I'm crying out for my father. I'm crying out for my mother. I'm crying out, Lord. I surrender everything to you, Lord.